0: Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I'm your host, D-Palm. Follow me on Twitter at D-Palm66. Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod. Follow the entire MTR network at, you guys it, the MTR network. You found us. Don't you dare lose us. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere. Get your podcasts for absolutely free. 99. It's so good to be back. It's so good to be talking college football because guess what, guys? College football is broken. And not just because of what happened last weekend not was because of what's about to happen later on tonight so for future just for full disclosure i'm recording this at 9 p.m on tuesday evening rankings are going to come out while we're recording and we're going to power through them and figure out what it means and i say we because i'm joined by a man who's if you if you hate this it's all his fault it's all his fault because a long time ago before i talked to the internet i wrote on the internet when i wrote on the internet i wrote for this man's website Dude, crazy.net We talked about Georgia football in a informative and somewhat irreverent way in ways that would sometimes make me very upset with myself just because of the torture we put ourselves through. we've got Andrew Hall on the podcast. What's up, Andrew?
1: Not much, man. Glad to be here. Uh excited to talk college football. It's been a while. Um it has. I don't think you and I have really talked on a podcast about Georgia football in years, but the more things change, the more things stay the same. Death taxes. Georgia being the best team in the country, and people finally realizing we were right all along. So we made it, you know.
0: I, for people who don't know Andrew, I need you to realize that that was all a bit like that. This confident <laughs> Georgia fan thing—it's not real.
1: For no, I, I officially, I officially turned the page after the Florida game. Up until the Florida game, the more you or anyone had confidence in Georgia, and the more they communicated that to me. The less confidence I had, but after that, I'm I'm in it. I'm in it.
0: I I applaud this leaf. I don't know if I can join you quite yet, but I hopefully over the course of this podcast I'll be able to do so. But the reason we're here is because our our good friend who actually was a frequent guest of Dougie' podcast, which is very funny now. Um, Michael Felder, I was on his taped online show, and we talked about. Something that has been in my head ever since. College football, by and large, if you're a fan of a team, think about it, listener. The team you're a fan of, think back 20 years. Is your team on a whole better or worse than it was then? Now, Andrew and I, it's not a fun exercise for you guys to watch us do it because the answer is unequivocally yes. 20 years ago, it was Quincy Carter and Jim Donahue. Like, it's unequivocally, this is a better situation.
1: I mean, we've got Stetson Bennett now.
0: Stop it! Don't. <laughs> you you know the run now. We're gonna get there. I just come on, man. Just no. The college football changed. It's been, and I'm, and I would posit this broken by what's happened with the sport. What's happened is it's become a national sport. It's become a if he didn't win the title, the season never happened and held no merit. Winning the SEC used to matter. Winning the Big Ten used to matter. And now when you say Big Ten football to me, all I can think is fraud. That's all I can think is just, oh, look at this. It's fraud. It's a front-loading, ridiculous schedule. And then when you actually play, I don't know, Purdue, you just can't get it done. But like, repeatedly, as a top-three team, like, what is in the water at the Boilermakers? I, I, you know what? I'm not going to – we're going to get deeper into it. I promise. This is the 30,000-foot view version of what I'm going to talk about. But, Hall, oh, man, like, I I think I'm right in saying this. When you've made the idea that you're going to see all these games all the time, the recruiting advantages for places change because it used to be – and this is going to sound very old, but back in our day, the only guaranteed national spotlight game every week was Notre Dame. Yep. It's how they recruited then. How they recruit now is they lie about their rankings because they know the Notre Dame backers buy magazines. Um, <laughs> but now with the long- they,
1: they still read magazines.
0: <laughs> that's, that's the other thing. Everyone's like, Miami's got a great recruiting class. I'm like, man, they know Miami kids will buy those magazines, you idiots. Um, <laughs> it's, it's wild to me because Once every team's on TV all the time, some would say too much, saturation of the game. Well, now it says, oh, everyone's got a chance at every recruit. No, man, the big guys are going to get bigger. Haven't you guys seen, I don't know, business? Amazon? Like Walmart? Like, what do we, like, you loosen the rules and they win. And as a fan of college football Walmart, We won. (laughs) <laughs> because the top talent's there at Georgia, and you can talk about that all day. The issue is when teams get tired When you're talking about the middle of the slog of a second quarter, and you've got your seconds in, and Georgia rolls out a second, but that second's a five-star who's been begging to play for two years. It's a problem. And what's happened yeah. is it's the modernization of the, the Bama system of the late 2000s, because once all those running backs can't coming back, the question has to get asked in the building, You think you're better than Nick Chubb? So everyone
1: stays. You're spot on, man. You're spot on. And I think the the thing that I think is hard for me to grapple with at times, because it's a challenging argument, because I happen to like college football more right this moment than I have at any point in my life. Because my team is good.
0: <laughs> i to say, because our team puts on absolute clinics every Saturday.
1: <laughs> but it's also one of those things where you know there's football on all the time. You turn it on, it's constantly on, which is great. I'm not complaining. Mm-hmm. But the frequency with which I try to find a game and it's just a random game, and I'm actually compelled by the quality of football being played is unbelievably infrequent. Right. You know, you, you mentioned you bagged on the Big Ten earlier and I mean, how many just intolerable big noon kickoff games have you seen even this season? I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, Games going, pushing a dozen overtimes, going to the two point conversion only and failing, (laughs) failing to convert. I mean, it's not good for the sport. It's I would say that it is a classic case of the haves versus the have nots except it's even more consolidated and i don't really know what changes that you know when you look we'll have the rankings that come out shortly um but when you look at the teams that are legitimately in contention year in and year out it's the exact same number and i think arguably the biggest indicator of this is we're looking at right now what seems like an unprecedented number of coaches that have been fired midseason. I think that number's going to only continue to go up. And everyone who loves the sport is lying to themselves if they say that's good for the sport. And that's just one indicator. But it's terrible for the kids that commit to play there. It's clearly a move posturing solely on the early signing period, which I don't think is necessarily a good thing either. But it's only getting worse. And I think that, in some regards, is a little bit of a barometer of the state of the competitive nature of college football. The more mid-season firings you have, the less competitive it is.
0: And that's and that's the barest way to put it. It's the most, when you're watching, when we're talking, we're recording on the day after Scott Frost fires Daniel everyone and restructured his contract.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're talking on the heels of Todd Grantham getting fired at Florida. And let me make one thing abundantly clear. Todd Grantham was fired for cause. <laughs> Griffin should have shit mailed to him.
1: <laughs> the cause, though, might be that touchdown that South Carolina had. Which one? <laughs> the, did you see the one where South Carolina posted the tweet? And no. it was all the- Oh, Palmer. I was at that wedding all day. Well, the official South Carolina football Twitter that. account today posted a tweet that was like, here all the things this wide receiver could have done before a Florida defender could have gotten to him. Oh, no. They had that guy come out in uniform and pose in the end zone, do all this stuff. At one point, he put on a cap and gown and called his parents and said, I did it. <laughs> oh, no. But can I – Oh, that's oh, awesome.
0: This is a – you know when the worst person you know makes an excellent point? <laughs> Florida. Florida is the largest (laughs) test case for what we're just talking about. Florida is inequivocally a worse off program than it was 20 years ago. You can't shake it any other way. And Mm -hmm. part of that is the
1: paucity of ability to capture and retain talent because winners want to win. That's part of it. But the other thing is you can't say that's the only part. And this is where I say, you know, that element of the teams that have it. It's gotten so condensed that I, I'm still of the belief that recruiting rankings are largely accurate. And if you will grant that point, Florida is the seventh most talented roster in the country right now. But it's fifth in the SEC. But like, that's and that's the problem. Exactly. And that's the problem. Because you've gotten to you've gone from a place where we'll get to the playoff in a minute, but in yeah. theory, an eight team playoff gets the eight best teams in the picture. And in theory, the eight most talented teams should very much be in the hunt. But the reality is, that's no guarantee, nor should it be. And they're, we see that at Florida, they're the the team-wide embodiment of this.
0: Well, again, we'll talk about the playoff later, but there are rarely eight good teams. That's, that's my they're comment. never but, eight good teams. There's never, there's rarely three. And I agree. That's what the I think that and again we're gonna we're, I'm I'll keep this back on track because I know you and I will just do the playoff. <laughs> Let's do the Georgia football thing because you and I haven't talked about this season like in depth. We had one very long, very good lunch and we got talk about all manner of things. <laughs> but specifically Georgia football, Paul. You are you know I'm about are about you're a little bit younger than I am. I'm 36. I've never seen it, and I don't mean in Athens. I mean, I've never seen a defense like this in the in a college level especially, but I wanted to think back to, like, really your best pro defenses because the talent is such a a flat variable in the NFL that it's largely schematic. Yep. What's happened in Georgia is, well, yes, there's some scheme, but it's just talent. And it's not necessarily preparation because there's a lot of that. It's guys doing their jobs. But I think it's been pointed out by everyone and their mother now. You're seeing these teams and these these defenses make adjustments on the fly that you'd normally see happen at halftime. Yep. Like, I've seen the, a bit of the replay of this past weekend's game, Georgia-Mizzou, obviously on fast forward, because, come on, it's really got that kind of time. We used to. <laughs> when we did Doogee Podcast, we did, I promise. Um, we watched it twice. It's, wow, life has changed. Anyway, this is not the old man in the sea podcast, I promise. Um, but you watch Georgia, because when lost their starting quarterback, they played two freshmen who are mobile targets. It was a different look. And you could watch the Georgia defense figure it out, and it was mm-hmm. horrifying. It was like the, T, the first thing's the T-1000, but it happens every snap of the ball to the point where they're not even statistically interesting. It's one of those things, you've got to see it, man. You can't accurately describe it.
1: I, I agree. And I think the, the comp I keep using, I think I've told you this story before, but in 2019, uh, my dad and I went to the SEC Championship. Georgia was playing LSU. Uh, this was, you know, abysmal quarterback play by Jake Fromm season, but Georgia still wins the division. We go. Georgia's get, getting run out of the building. And yet there was still kind of this clamoring when Georgia had the ball. And this was weird as a Georgia fan surrounded by a lot of LSU fans. where it's kind of like, well, hopefully we go three and out again so I can get to see Joe Burrow. Because <laughs> at that point, I'd completely given up on Georgia actually winning the game. Right. And it was just unbelievable to watch that offense. And it certainly I don't mean to say it was only Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, the wide receiver play, the game planning, it was just phenomenal. And that was a pretty good Georgia defense, not not an elite one, certainly not at the level of this, but it was just fun to watch. And I think Georgia has become that defensively where it's if you have not seen this team play. You have to watch. and statistically, I can give you any number you want. To try to quantify it, I think the most. Impressive figure to me is that even if you include points off of Georgia turnovers, like a pick six uh, relatively early in the season, things like that, um, Georgia's given up 59 points this season. If you looked at last week's playoff rankings, uh, eight of the other teams in the top 10 have given up 59 or more points in only two games. Nine, uh, The ninth team, it took three games. Uh, at the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? Keeping teams off the board. Um yeah. But it's just oh, staggering it in nine games. That's happened. Oh, wow. We got him.
0: Wait a second. Let me let me read him in properly. For those of you who've listened to me for so long, if you have, I apologize. But the third voice you're about to hear should truly stoke the memory. Ruin, of the, the, podcast.
2: Ruin the podcast.
0: Ruin the I podcast. Your words, not mine. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, <laughs> the only, Chad Floyd. Chad, good to have you, brother.
2: What's happening, guys?
0: Not much, much. Man. We were just talking about the uh, the the gospel of Georgia's
2: defense.
1: <laughs>
2: the I Georgia defense out. that ha- that has scored more points or scored the offense more points off turnovers than it's allowed. That's the one.
0: That's the one and hey, the
2: same. That's a damn good defense.
1: It I truly think we need to point is. out for those that are obviously only consuming this in audio that Chad shows up as caller 01
2: as if there were going to be more than one caller. I really no, wish I had. That's the number one ranked caller in the uh, most recent college football playoff <laughs> rankings, I'm assuming. Like, literally, I just called into this thing and just uh, went up to my computer and checking Twitter now. Oh, no.
0: It's that's college that's, that's that's our that's our last segment of the night, so don't spoil it for us. So, oh, Chad, missed, Chad missed the rundown, so this is going to be even more interesting. I'm very excited to see now specifically how this gonna Um... So we talked about the defense. Andrew, I think it's an amazing point because the 2019 LSU offense was so exciting to watch in person that the stats didn't do it justice. Same thing we're seeing here. The reason Jordan Davis has to go to New York for the Heisman finalists. But, Chad, you and I have a similar problem. We're about to do this stupid quarterback thing again,
2: aren't we? We are basically at the point of where Saban nailed the quarterback thing on us Two years in a row. Um, this could be Kirby Smart's uh, second quarterback. Mm, let's call it wrong flip of the coin in the last four years. I, and I know, I know we have the biggest Jacob Eason uh, stand in the world on the podcast too. So you could argue, uh, you could argue three times in the last five, really.
1: I want to, I want to throw out a theory here on the quarterback position. I don't think we're sticking with Stetson. What?
0: I'm sorry. What galaxy brain credit are you giving Kirby?
1: So here is my, I've been reading into, so now that I don't write about football, I read a lot about football. Nice. After the Florida game, we had this really clear non-committal, we went with Stetson because of continuity. You know, JT just got back fully in practice this week. I think we're actually looking right now at a slow, steady build of JT Daniels playing time. I think he's going to play more against Tennessee. I think he's going to play more against Charleston Southern. I think he's going to play more against uh, Georgia Tech. And I think we're going to end up in a spot where he's going to actually be starting a postseason game. I really think that.
0: I I don't know if he's
2: going to.
0: Go ahead. Go ahead, Chad.
2: I was going to say, I don't know if he's going to be starting a postseason game, but I kind of see him as basically, you know, the Tua to Jalen Hurts or the Jalen Hurts to Tua where I think, you know, if Georgia finds themselves having to play left-handed a little bit, he's going to be somebody who can show up against an Ohio State if you kind of get dragged into a foot race there or even in Alabama, which would be the ultimate poetic justice. But my my thought is they're just kind of keeping him warm and really doing – the whole team a disservice because he is just a better quarterback. But Paul, I, I, I don't know if they, we're quite Paul, there yet.
0: Paul, I have to say that I your reading of it is favorable and kind, and <laughs> it affords them a level of grace they have never earned. In fact, of in the in the scheme of foresight, or like until Chad said it just now, I forgot Jake Fromm won two of these. Like. What?
2: <laughs> it's so much yeah. funnier when you put it that way because he's I, I, only I, well, there here's for minutes.
1: But here's my my thought on this is as simple as this, and and again, I don't, I I might be giving you might be totally right, Palmer. I might be giving the coaching staff way too much credit. But my thought is as simple as this: there will be, in theory, a game in which Georgia's is going to have three, maybe four opportunities in which a wide receiver truly gets behind the secondary. There's only one quarterback on Georgia's roster that's going to convert the majority of those opportunities at the level you expect. Now, Stetson could throw up a ball that goes 60 yards into the air and goes 40 yards deep and then plummets down, which tends to be the trajectory of what he does, and it could happen to be a completion. That could happen. But I think even even the coaching staff with their stubbornness is going to be mindful that we can't miss those opportunities thus far it has not mattered obviously it hasn't. It has. and And, that's, and, and that's, i'm not I'll, I'll say this i'm not totally convinced that that's going to matter later
0: right
1: which might be credence that's, to you know hey it's a tight game at halftime and you know stephan hadn't played particularly well and we gotta switch things up but i i kind of i think we're going to see his workload in i think the tennessee game I think everybody thinks it'll be closer than the Missouri game is, and yet I expect JT to play more.
2: I just want to say how dare you um, make the assertion that Brock Vandergriff can't throw the ball sixty yards downfield. Uh, That's
1: see, a good point. No, uh, but how bad fact, is that guy that Carson Beck was playing before him? Man, Carson Beck. Yeah. Uh, hold on. I'm sorry.
0: We we're now we are now our quarterback room consists of a Stetson Bennett the fourth and a Brock Vandergriff.
2: Don't sleep on it's, Carson. It's Georgia football. I mean, the it's, the name palindrome syndrome, syndrome rings true always. I
0: I don't think I knew Brock Vandergriff was a real person until you said this.
1: But so I do ruined, think so, so we Chad would be remiss. Twice. This is great. We would be remiss to not mention that there's only one quarterback on Georgia's roster that's a semifinalist for the Davey O'Brien Award and for I forget what it's called, but for the former walk-on. Award. And that's Stetson Bennett the fourth.
0: Well, I'm so, if we're here for a great story, let's keep rolling out Stetson. I'd like to win the title. <laughs> Call me hey, nuts. Nick but, Marshall almost won is, a
2: national title and he was a quarterback in Georgia. <laughs> great point.
0: <laughs> and the thing is, Paul, you're not wrong. This could be a season, like as you and I discussed before Chad got here, that it's just
1: one good team. Can I get my last Stetson Bennett joke in? Oh, go ahead. Fine. All right, cool. My running joke is that Stetson Bennett is such a good quarterback. Mark Rick recruited him as a safety.
0: Do you feel good about
1: that? I really do. I will say I went to the Georgia game this weekend.
2: I thought that was more of a Mac Brown joke.
1: I went to the Georgia game this weekend. They honored Mark Rick. And the second I got to Athens, I was like, man, the energy is down. Big time. I
0: see – First of all, as the last Marquardt defender in America, how dare you? Second of all, this poor game wouldn't have been where it was when Kirby got it if he hadn't done what he'd done. And second of all, Chad, the inner the inner splicing between Margaret and uh, Mac Brown jokes is a lot. It's a lot more than you think. And I wouldn't don't do the math. It's
2: <laughs> it's, it's sad. Oh, it, no, I... it
0: underscores my other point of support, actually. That's how oh, they,
2: they, they, they run very parallel. And um, yeah, exactly. as somebody who's gotten to observe background for almost three years now, it is eerie from the well, end of the, the, the Rick era in Athens that I was there for.
0: Well, actually, this actually, you know, I'm going to take a break from the actual schedule program. I want to talk to you right now about a team that's near and dear to your heart that some would say was grossly overrated this offseason. Now, I do want to say this. This is the one college football season since probably World War I where we've had the least amount of data on the actual team. So people are like, well, these rankings are up and down. Yes, they're up and down because we we knew literally nothing going into the season. That being said, the
2: clock, Chad. Wait, are you talking about my undergraduate alma mater?
0: I am talking about your undergraduate alma mater. Dick,
2: Greg, we get it. You're educated. The one. <laughs> hey, the, 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 oh, two
0: the, degrees.
2: <laughs> the one that just beat an undefeated uh, top ten team in a
0: happening.
2: non-conference game.
0: Talk about Mac Brown blaming the media for overrating them <laughs> after game four.
2: Dude, it's 2021. You can blame the media for anything.
0: That is a it is horrifyingly fine. true point. Um. But let's talk about UNC. Knocking off. And Wake I don't Forest want to Saturday, spoil it, but
2: we are the media. Wait, why Why do you want people to log off of your podcast? Why do you no, want to talk about no, UNC? This is
0: exciting. This is exciting. It's a big one for the program. When you ended the <laughs> Wake Forest thing. You ended the, the Wake Forest thing was getting out of the hand. If I see I that extended that. mesh point one more time, I'm going to hit somebody.
2: That shit was so I frustrating the to watch on live TV. Like, oh. I. I haven't watched Wake play this year because they haven't played anybody. And they're but, ready. oh, my God. Like, I mean, they held it for like four seconds. And then the receiver was just like 15 yards behind the safety. And I'm kind of thinking from the safety's perspective, what are you supposed to do in that situation? I mean, it's insane. Like, unless you have basically Georgia's defensive line where you can, you know, basically go man on man and, you know, just screw up the mesh point at the mesh point. I really don't know how you stop that. Like they need to ban that shit or they need to enforce illegal legal, uh, ineligible receiver downfield. Like, you, said, you know, you said I, like I mean, put a buzzer on offensive linemen.
0: You sound like Nick Saban the first time this offensive He's going to be so ba- angry. Someone's going to bring, oh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be shitty. Mike Leach. Mike Leach is going to bring it out for one game against Saban next year. And he's going to lose his mind.
2: Uh is this what we – oh, guy, I can't talk. It's been a long day. Is this what we want football to be?
0: So <laughs> football started
2: Before he hires uh, Lane Kiffin and then hires Steve Sarkisian. The, um, the downside of the Wake
1: loss, though, was I really had this dream scenario in which Georgia could conquer their Bama demons in the SEC championship game and then go into a playoff that consisted of Wake Forest, Michigan State, and Cincinnati. I mean, it would have
0: been awesome. Well, it's impossible now because I know. Purdue, Purdue, Purdue'd, But I do want to bring this up now because we're on the, hus- the cusp of the rankings. They're probably out now. We're going to look it up in a second. This past weekend gave us more top ten nonsense. Bama looks human against a not very good LSU team who's got a coach who's already been fired, which is the fact that Coach O shows up wearing pants, massive win for the state. Um, Michigan State getting knocked off by Purdue. Because why not? Oregon.
1: I knew something it. very funny about Michigan State in the rankings, but I can't spoil it.
0: Ohio State beating a Nebraska team that resultantly had to fire three coaches and have Scott Frost renegotiate his money or if presumably he too would have been fired. Guess what kids? They don't do it if it's not under duress. Cincinnati giving no style points, giving me no like to stay on against Tulsa, Michigan, Michigan's until they play Ohio State. Hey, guess what? Um, that Pat Harbaugh, still over for whatever in any game that matters. Um, Notre Dame, I swear to God, this is Notre Dame in it, doesn't it? This is Notre Dame in it, and I'm going to be so frustrated. <sighs> Bottom line is. Okay,
2: so they're contractually yeah. obligated to rank somebody too, right?
0: I don't. That's the thing. When I read it out loud, I don't know. What do you do in a season where you're talking about expanding the playoff when I can't point to eight good football teams?
2: Put Purdue number two, you cowards.
0: Stop it. Stop it. They can't beat themselves. That's the thing. Purdue's destiny is to destroy the number two team. Whether it be a. Have you seen Purdue play
2: Illinois? They can beat themselves.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) me. But, like, But but that's the thing. Like we talked about this before you got here, Chad. The the Big Ten thing has got to stop. The man Iowa was good for a while. Now they're ranked two. Oh wait, we remembered they were Iowa. Goodbye Iowa. Hey man, Michigan State's ranked number three. They haven't played anyone, but why not rank them? Because Purdue. Now I'm gonna pretend that Ohio State, Michigan matters because one of them has to get in because I don't know why they need four teams. It makes no sense, and we talked about why they've weakened the field and how they have destroyed these teams. But I do want to talk about the rankings. Are they? At, do you have the ranking spoilers after me, Hall?
1: I've got the rankings. You ready?
0: Oh, I, I'm already disgusted. I'm
1: not. So, I'll jump to the funny part. <laughs> jump, jump. Is
2: UTSA ranked yet? Me, me.
1: Yeah, barely 23rd. Number- hey, that's higher than I thought. My my favorite part is that Michigan State, the much maligned in the last three minutes Michigan State, is still ahead of Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know that I disagree, but I love that.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so stupid. Okay. So, and,
1: Georgia, and then he's
2: going to say Oklahoma jumped off. Cincinnati.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, no, Cincinnati's up to five. We got Georgia one, Bama wow. two, Oregon three. Ohio State four, Cincinnati wow. five, Michigan six, Michigan State seven, Oklahoma. Oh, so head, I guess head, head to head.
2: To head,
1: head yeah, it doesn't matter. Oklahoma is eight, Notre Dame nine, Oklahoma State ten. I mean, I could keep going. Wake dropped to twelve, and M's at eleven. I'm,
2: you know, I'm not I, Yeah, I'm not offended by the top ten, really. I don't think. I. Number, I don't know that I have a feel but I feel like you've
1: got two through five and then you've got six through like 13 that are all
2: kind of the same to me. I, I feel like two through nine, nine should play an 18 playoff to play Georgia in, a, in just a regular old national championship game.
1: That see, see, you stole my point. What I want is a flexible playoff. Ooh. In which it's a set number of games. You know, if you say there's eight, then hey, there's There's going to be quote unquote this many games. But like at some point you actually just split it up to where you're like, no, Georgia gets a bye until the final. Um, UTSA, in my opinion, hey, let's let's let them play Cincinnati. If you're a big Cincinnati fan, this should be a great opportunity for you to just get through.
0: (laughs) I love that that game. So, So let's remove the ethical Daniel yells on the Internet for 15 minutes about why we shouldn't expand the playoff. Please see every other time I talk about this. Yes. They don't get more school for more games. That's the that's the TLDR of it. <laughs> Let's just talk about the idea of the playoff giving opportunity and parity. There have been three playoff semifinal games decided by a score. Three. There aren't three good teams this year. There weren't three good teams last year. There weren't three good teams the year before that. So there, were, oh, there were three then, actually, I think.
2: There were three. There, there were three last year.
0: Okay, fine. They're, they, they're sure as shit ain't three now. We're scraping for two. Because at a certain point, we're going to talk ourselves into a two-loss Bama team being the three seed. Because they can't be the four seed to play Georgia again, just because TV runs this shit.
1: That can't happen.
2: I still think Bama beats Georgia in Atlanta.
1: Get off, uh, get off the call. Yeah. <laughs> just negative energy.
0: We turned a corner. we cr- Paul has Paul recruited me to get into the podcast. I'm 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 there. We have turned a corner. We are hopeful Georgia fans now. You can call us idiots later, but for now we'll be
2: hopeful. Oh God, that's where they get you though. I know. That's I've where they want more. you to be. Chad, I've never I felt there. Okay. national
0: title game. I was there with my Dude, father. I talked
2: to you earlier today and I, I, did, I didn't pick this up from you.
0: I know. It's all, Hall's got me in a place. Hall's got me in a place. <laughs> I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about possibility. I'm thinking about hope. And you know what, Chad? I know it's dumb. I feel dumb saying it out loud. But until we rectify how we get here by returning to that which was right and good with the BCS, the BCS, which put these small schools, the thing they told us that would, hey, you know, all these TV deals are going to flatten out the the, the playing field. No, you're flatten out the playing field letting those teams play on New Year's Six Bowls and getting, making Boise State a destination for talent. Because what we've got now, there is no way for any, Chad, the thing we brought up before you got here, the Felder thing is that, College football teams, by and large, your football, your favorite team, is worse than it was 20 years ago. Obviously, Georgia fans were the dickheads who won, but by and large, your college football team is in a worse position than it was 20 years ago. And the only way to try to rebalance that is to put these smaller schools in featured games and not getting their faces stomped in by a Georgia machine that I'm entirely sure should be legal on defense. Like I really want someone to look into if they're playing with 14 players, because it seems unfair.
2: So, and, and here's my thing. So, Houston, a few years ago, had the springboard where they beat Florida State, um, I think, the year after Florida State had lost to Oregon in the playoff. Uh, they beat them in the, in the Peach Bowl, Chick Play Bowl, whatever we called it then. Um, next year, they come, run Oklahoma off the field in week one. And that was like the ideal springboard, right, where, you know, they win a major bowl game the year before. They start out hot the next year. They beat a marquee opponent. Um, but they shit the bet against maybe SMU or somebody. But that's been the template. Cincinnati this year plays Georgia, the same Georgia that we are focused on here for many reasons, and I'm still not totally optimistic about going back to that game because Georgia ain't played nobody. Um, Georgia beat Cincinnati on a 52-yard field goal at the Horn last year in that same Chick-fil-A Bowl. And... Then Cincinnati goes, is the only team to beat Notre Dame who, I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten are the playoff committee's favorites. Uh, They controlled that game from start to finish. So if you talk game control or whatever bullshit, uh, you know, Pablam they want to use. I mean, Cincinnati should be at a minimum three, I would say. And really, there's nobody that you should rank above them at two. And I realize they're not getting style points against and Tulsa. Well, Alabama's not getting style points against LSU. (laughs) Um, Alabama's not getting style points against Florida. Oregon's not getting style points, losing at Stanford, and then beating Washington by 10 on a safety that was snapped over the punter's head in the last minute. So there's really no reason to me that Cincinnati is not the number two team. And, Palmer, you're right. I mean, there is no opportunity for a team unless you are the SEC where you start, you know, I mean, with like a Mississippi State ranked 13th because hey, they went eight and four last year and they returned their quarterback. Or or Iowa beats Iowa State in week two and we thought Iowa State was good because they went eight and four last year and they jumped to number five in the polls after winning a home game against Iowa State in week two. Like, I mean, the problem is if you're going to start doing these rankings in mid-October, you need to have no rankings prior to then. I,
0: I, is, that the, is that the solution? We just don't do any rankings till the first. The first. But that's the thing. So this is. It all goes. This the core of this is my positing for this BCS, and I appreciate both of you continuing to feed my monster that is my love for this stupid computer system. But it is wild to me that we said no. We need even use the numbers for the playoffs. No, we don't want numbers. We want people in a cabal like people who have. I don't trust team doctors i don't trust team doctors because your loyalty is technically your employer is the team i don't trust these committee members because their employer isn't the NCAA it's the hey we need this playoff to make us a ton of money and that's why i've got i don't know that's why all of it you're right chat there's no reason there's none zero reason that you can give me that since he shouldn't be too aside from we, since he doesn't draw a crowd, it's a name I mean, you don't I, recognize.
1: I completely agree with you. I also, though, I wouldn't say counterpoint. I'm not appalled at Cincinnati being fifth. And part of that may be that I'm pretty I'm sure surprised they year, went up. Me I'm too. pretty sure Oregon's going to drop another game or Ohio yeah. State at some point. And so for me, a little bit of it seems to be the posturing that you would expect in terms of giving favoritism to large teams with the fact that they're at five puts them in the position to be right where they want. Like, and I say that from the standpoint of if Georgia were eight and one right now and sitting at five, I'd feel great about it. I would still feel like, Hey, if we went out, we're in the playoff. And I think that should be Cincinnati's approach. What's interesting, Palmer, have you looked at where they do the BCS rankings? um the old computer formula no um, i didn't really had this. this is amazing so here's the most telling thing to me and chad's not going to like this cuz he's hating on georgia georgia yeah. comes out at a 1000
2: i'm not hating on georgia i'm i'm hating on and georgia in the future
1: so georgia's at a 1000 they have a perfect score bama's at 0.90 so georgia's 1.00000 bama's at 0.90 that's a massive gap compared to historical bcs1 so Bama's at two, Cincinnati comes in at three, Oklahoma is the one getting really torn up by the playoff rings because they come in at four on the old BCS followed by Ohio State. I'm still not convinced. Like if you said, hey, you've got to pick a playoff, I'm not convinced that the top four aren't going to be some combination of Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. I mean, Oregon's going to be out of there. And right. I, I think there's probably a pretty clear path to ending up exactly where the BCS would have us now, but it comes back to the whole point of why the playoff, because if you're sitting here and ostensibly saying, based on the computer metrics, you have one team that is 10% higher than all the others, and I'm not saying, like, we should end the season right now, although that'd be great. That'd be um, stop, the, stop the count. Yeah. But if you've got one game that's 10% above the others, it doesn't matter. So I guess my counter is like, would you rather be fourth seeded Cincinnati knowing everything we just said in terms of this isn't going to be the springboard that propels you into perpetual contention for a playoff spot? Would you rather be number four Cincinnati or would you rather be number five Cincinnati and just whine about it? Cause I kind of think I'd rather whine about it than play George. <laughs> but that's,
0: I think for me that you're, you're not wrong, but for me the nakedness of like making it a television show is why it feels like gross. Because you're right, mathematically, and watching things play out like the next three weeks for Ohio State, Purdue, which we know what they do to people, uh, and Michigan State, and then Michigan. Like something's gonna something's got to give over there. Just just I, I've yeah. watched this team look shaky against everyone, and Purdue hits yeah, people in the face.
2: And and what I was gonna say is I was gonna combine your points is. The fact is, we're talking about it, and that's really, you know, the goal of this whole made for TV thing. That could, that that could literally be just a list that they release at noon on Tuesday, like they do with the AP and the coaches on Monday, which, or on Sunday, which, you know, is nothing. But, um, Hall, to your point, I mean, Cincinnati at five, I mean, that is encouraging that they actually moved up this week. And, I mean, one of Michigan, Michigan State and Ohio State will probably win out. Um, You know, they're they're, going to be boosted by each other because Ohio State and Michigan State still play. Ohio State and Michigan still play. Um, Michigan and Michigan State played, and they're both uh, one loss team. Yeah, okay, yeah, Michigan lost to Michigan State. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Oklahoma, I mean, they will rise quickly because they've got Baylor still on their schedule. They've got uh, Oklahoma State still on their schedule. Really, the way I look at it is that they're basically setting up, okay, um, if Alabama plays Georgia even remotely close, you're looking at Alabama, Big Ten champ, undefeated Oklahoma, and Georgia. If Alabama plays Georgia remotely close, uh, you've got two SEC, you've got Oklahoma, and you've got the Big Ten champ. So, I mean, really, you know, the the rules just kind of mesh to what they want to – you know, ultimately see, I mean, to Palmer's point. And really the only fly in the ointment is not Cincinnati because Cincinnati's not getting in unless there's more chaos. Um, The fly in the ointment's Oregon right now because Oregon can win out look mediocre for the next four weeks and sneak in as a four. Um, Cincinnati needs Oregon to drop. They need the Big Ten to descend into chaos, and they need Georgia to pummel Alabama to comfortably be in the four.
0: Gentlemen, I appreciate you guys taking the time talking stuff through. I appreciate the fact that Hall tried me turn a corner and a positive Georgia fan, and Chad, you're here to stamp me right back to reality. I don't know where I land yet. I do know we're gonna beat the hell out of Tennessee this weekend. And I think at one point in my lifetime, I was terrified of the Tennessee game. I really was. This game used to give me nightmares. And because of the thing we talked about earlier, the inequity of college football, it just gotten better for the Bulldogs and worse for the volunteers. And I will give you guys yeah, this last stat about the BCS from talking about these non group of five, the group of five or non automatic qualifier teams. Aside from the time that, BC, that Boise State and TCU played each other, these teams were five and four. The only loss they had that was over one possession, Georgia over Hawaii, 41 and 10, in the 2007, because that's how Georgia does it. They beat the hell out of people. And they're going to do it again on Saturday. Guys, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the impromptu doju podcast reunion. We'll be back with more coverage of college football, NFL football, and lots more Aaron Rodgers jokes very, very soon. That was your show. There is no outro. See you guys very
1: soon. Gentlemen. It's good to be back.
0: Oh, man. It feels good. It feels good.